I'm Mike. I'm Austin. We are the Test Drivers. And we put tech through its paces. And this time, we're going to talk about some of the tech that we choose to use for our work. We promised we'd do this because we spoke about we spoke about home tech a few episodes ago, and then we had the Apple event, which because we wanted to do this next, and then the Apple event came in the middle. And so before we get to Google I/O, and then I guess WWDC, uh, we wanted to get this topic out of the way, and it's going to be the main thing we're talking about in this episode. But we do have a couple of little items, little news things we want to get to. Uh, a couple of Samsung things. Z flip. Z flip. Oh, oh, sorry, I'm gonna make you act- wait a second. Actually, I thought I was on mute. I'm, sorry, sorry. I'm gonna like uh, I'm I'm issuing the order in the document because you're so excited. Now I want to hold it off from you just a little <laughs> bit longer. So we spoke about uh, there was a Samsung event a week or so ago, and we expected that it wasn't going to be much of anything. It kind of wasn't. They released Galaxy Books. I, I watched a video that The Verge made about them and kind of was like, I have no interest in this product. It did make me wonder, like, I don't really know who buys Samsung laptops. Uh, I'm not I saying mean, there isn't a market. and I, like, Because they look yeah. cool. They're like super light. And like for a 13-inch, apparently it's like the lightest 13-inch laptops. They seem like they have pretty good specs. They have OLED screens on them. Like They look really cool. But I'm just, I, I think I'm just like, I'm just not sure if like Samsung, I don't know if necessarily people think of Samsung when they think of laptop. I don't it's know. interesting. I feel like Samsung and LG are kind of in the same sort of vein where like they make laptops. In fact, I think Samsung probably has a little bit of a richer history because they've made a wide variety of not only just laptops, they've made desktops, they've made a lot of computers over the years. Yeah. But you're right. I think in most markets, Samsung laptops and computers are not popular or not the first sort of thought i mean they've certainly made a little bit of waves in recent years with stuff like the galaxy chromebook which was cool but sort of ultimately flawed because it had such terrible battery life but i it's cool i just they're trying new things they're you know throwing like qleds at it and oleds at it and trying to you know incorporate like s pens and honestly samsung has done obviously a lot of work on the windows side of the software stack where they have a lot of integration with android Honestly, I feel like they had a lot of the stuff that is now built into Windows years before Microsoft actually integrated it through their various different like you know partnerships with the Galaxy line and all that kind of stuff that they had wrapped up. So there's cool stuff there, but, but ultimately, is it really that much better than something like a Surface or an XPS or an HP? I don't know. Even though that Samsung seems to be doing cool tech, like I just think that like in, interesting innovations in this line, they're doing some cool looking stuff. I just don't know if like they have a very strong brand recognition in phones. Yes, it's the same as like tablets. Like I don't really know who buys Samsung tablets either. You know, like Samsung, they are known for phones and TVs now. I feel like, and so I think when people think about buying laptops these days, if they're not buying a Mac. And lots of people buy Macs, right? Like in the personal use, especially. Mm-hmm. If they're not, they would probably start looking. I would expect these days people probably look at Surface as one of the first options and then move away from there. Yeah, I, I think so too, right? And obviously there's the the Lenovo's and the HP's and the Dell's of the world. If you're not like, like looking at what Microsoft's doing or you're looking, if you're not looking at like Asus or something like for, for a specific like gaming laptop or Razer or something, you're probably looking for budget. And that's not what the Samsung 
laptops no. are. You know, so that's what I mean. Like I think in this in the higher end space, I think people are looking for something specific. And I don't know if like Samsung's Galaxy Book line is that thing. You know? So. I mean, they're fine. It's just, yeah. It's always one of those questions where if you're going to commit to buying a new computer, specifically a laptop, which you expect to get years and years of use out of, what's really going to give you the best bang for the buck, right? And I mean, Samsung have cool features. They have like mm -hmm. wireless charging in their trackpads, or at least they've done it in the past. I don't know if the mm -hmm. Galaxy Book Pros have, but like they've tried cool stuff. But ultimately, I feel like most people are just going to go with the safe option, right? They're going to go with the option that they can go and walk down to the local Best Buy and pick up stuff that they know that has a good reputation, you know, something that your friend has used. It's almost like the OnePlus problem from years ago, right? Where it's like, it took a long time to kind of get that market share, get that trust, kind of build that brand up. And I mean, it's not like Samsung's a new brand here or anything, but when was the last time you saw an ad for a Samsung computer, right? I mean, it, it, yeah. they don't talk about it. No one even knows that these things exist. So it's kind of like, sure, it's a decent laptop and it might be pretty good in this way, but a lot of small, nice features don't necessarily make a better device, especially when there's such an uphill battle to climb as far as the market share is concerned. Talk about the Z Flip, man. Yeah! <laughs> <clears throat> is okay. yours still alive? It's totally fine. Look, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, some people are asking me about it. It's fine, okay? The hinge is a little bit loose. Still, like when I say loose, it still holds in like 80% of the ways that I want it to when I open up it. It's fine, okay? okay. Z Flip's fine, but... Uh, Z Flip! Well, possibly. <clears throat> no, it, it's confirmed. I saw a leaked uh, blurry photo on Twitter. It means it's confirmed. That's, uh -huh. It's legit now. <laughs> that's, that's what happens. That's, I, that's... I don't know this person uh, at Sunday 6 on Twitter. Are they, do they have a track record? So I don't know this person specifically, but I've seen a number of like what looks to be like some stills from this marketing video from a few other sources as well. I'm not 100% sure where it started from, but I've seen multiple people pick it up. Right. I would assume in traditional Samsung fashion that this is a marketing video that got leaked and someone just recorded or something. Because if you look at the photos, which I'm sure we'll have in the show notes, you can see that a lot of this looks like it was like taken like someone took a photo of like a screen that was watching like the, the video. Looks like, like a projector. Yes. Uh, that being said, though, we got some stills of the Z Flip 3. Um, Yahoo! <clears throat> we'll see, man. You will see. If it looks anything like this, man, I am so, so excited. It's oh. a new design direction, which I wasn't expecting. Uh, I mean, we've been talking about on this show, like also Z Fold 3 is in there, which weirdly enough, the... Okay, so here, here's my pause on these these leaks. There's two images in this Twitter thread. They don't follow the same design conventions. It's completely True. different. And that's weird to me. Sort of. I will say, I mean, these are kind of the flagship products for Samsung, right? Mm -hmm. If they're going to bring out a new design language, if they're really trying to push the envelope on what Samsung phones should look like, I think it's fairly logical that they would start with the Z Flip and the Z Fold, right? That that checks out to me. And I agree. It looks a little different. I do think it looks more different on the Z Flip. The Fold looks relatively similar to the current Fold, right? Obviously, there are some changes, but it's not like a wild departure. It's really when you look at the Z Flip 3 that it's, it's pixely looking. I don't know how uh, there's a better way to describe that. It looks very reminiscent of a pixel, and that's 100% okay with me. Hmm. You're awfully quiet. Are you not? Are you not liking? 
the Z Flip 3 mic? Is that what I'm kind of, are those the vibes I'm picking up right now? I think that the design is intriguing. I like that it seems like there's two cameras. It feels like they're pushing the camera tech more. Mm -hmm. Everything that I would want to see or would be intrigued about from a Z Flip 2, 3? Is this technically 2? <laughs> Supposedly, this will be Z Flip Three, because I think they're technically right. saying that the five G was the two, even though it's like yeah, a one point well, I mean, two. Like, look, they created the Galaxy Fold and then called it Galaxy Z Fold Two. So, like you know, they they did just <laughs> name things as they wish. Um, the things I'm most intrigued about seeing for this device, especially when it's closed, is uh, more of a front screen, and we don't see that. You could guess that that's why it has that panel that runs across the top, that there's a screen underneath there, right? But, I mean, we don't know that. There are a couple of other photos that I think were taken from that same thing. I'm going to go ahead and send it to you right now that show the size of the screen. Essentially, that huh. whole section that's beside the cameras is supposedly screen. I'll send it to you right now. Now, if that's the case, that would be really cool. So this is a render based on the stills. I've seen other of these like blurry cam photos of what the screen looks like. It had like a little like call icon. So like someone was calling in, but it essentially seems like that entire top, like kind of, I guess, sort of reflective glass area, everything that's not camera essentially looks to be screen or pretty close to it. That would go a long way toward making me feel like, okay, this is not just like a little gimmick. I can actually do at least a little bit more than just change my music, and look at the time on the outer display on the Z Flip. Mm. That's what I would want to see, personally, from, from a new version of this device. Like that, I think that's the thing that they really needed to do more with from a hardware perspective. So I, I agree with you. Like, there is promise in the design here, right? Because it's not just this tiny little window they mm -hmm. seem to have built something that could conceivably be a screen the entire way along and they've turned it into a design feature by making it like a two-tone effect. Yeah. But we'll, we'll have clever. to wait and see. Yeah, it's just weird to me. Like, And again, like I can understand why they would be different in design because the Z Flip needs things that the Z Fold doesn't. But it is just interesting to me, like maybe somewhat peculiar um, to see them be completely different in uh, like design aesthetic. Yeah, I mean, I will say that the cameras being sort of reoriented to be in the vertical orientation, it does look a little bit more like what you would see on like the S21. So there's a little bit of that newer aesthetic. The mm. thing we haven't really seen is what it looks like when it's open. Um, it certainly seems like it's been reprofiled a little bit, but from these yeah. leaks, it's hard to make too many assumptions about exactly. it. The rumor mill is fired up. A lot of people are speculating that this is going to be a $1,000 starting price. I don't know where that's coming from because I think that's just purely people guessing. But I've seen a number of sites run that headline, Z Flip 3, $1,000. That's less, right? Than what, than it was like $1,300, wasn't it? I believe it started at $1,350 or $1,400. Yeah. And then I think you can get it now for $1,200. But yeah, that would certainly be... I think it's important for them to get the Z Flip down to 1000 so that then yeah. they could... Uh, like you know they could they could push the z fold even more yeah because i don't think z fold is uh, moving from that roughly two thousand dollar price point right i think that's they've kind of planted their stake in the ground if you want the quote-unquote best phone in the universe with every feature possibly you know on the phone 
that's the price you're paying. But I think there's probably some fertile ground in between that $1,000 and $2,000 price point that they could fill out with different Z Flip variants and different Z Fold variants. A lot of sort of room to play in there. Uh, I'm just really excited. I, at this point, obviously have a huge list of things I'd love to see on mm-hmm. Z Flip 3, like 120 hertz, improved cameras, better battery life. I actually had uh, an unrelated problem, but sort of while we're talking about Z Flip, I had my first... Not even crash. I had my first like real limit with what the Z Flip can do the other day. Huh. So uh, I, I don't know how much you use split screen. I don't use it an enormous amount on mm-hmm. Z Flip because even though it's a taller display, it's still obviously it's not like the the fold where you have like essentially two smartphone displays side by side, right? You have kind of like a one and a half display right on on the mm-hmm. Z Flip. I uh, through a questionable uh, amount of planning had two calls to be on at the same time. I had a briefing and I had a call I needed to be on. So Mr. Genius here was like, okay, it's perfect. I'll have the video briefing on on the split screen and I'll have it muted so I can just watch the slides and everything. And on the bottom, I'll be on my actual call, right? So this is, I think, a Google Meet call or something. Uh, I was on the both like calls and video at the same time. It lasts about 10 minutes before Z Flip goes, hey, your phone's too hot. We're going to close your multi-window. I've never had that happen before. So uh, it was very warm. Uh, to the touch, it was very warm. Because, you know, obviously you'd hold it from the bottom. So all the guts are in the top. So the top of the phone was quite toasty. But I was like, this would have been a great thing if it would have actually not just closed it on me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit more thermal. Stop melting the screen. <laughs> Yo, oh, actually. You have different considerations with a phone <laughs> like that, I bet. Uh, that's a good question. A little concerning, maybe. But yeah, I, there's a lot of things I'd love to see in Z Flip 3. I'm just really happy that Z Flip 3 very much seems like it's happening. And now that we're seeing the beginning of the leaks, the test driver squad needs to be ready because we're going to be doing updates every episode, every yep. morsel of uh, information. I'm going to be incredibly news, excited. Emergency episodes. What was the expectation for when they would be uh, putting that on sale? July is what I have heard. Okay. Um, it seems like there's going to be an event for Z Flip, Z Fold, getting them on the same cycle in July. Now, that's a little bit of an odd time because usually they do like note stuff in, you know, August or September. So maybe no note, this though. is no note, baby. Remember? Yeah. Maybe this is replacing that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But regardless, it seems like the Z Flip gang is is it's exciting times. It's exciting times. Yeah. There's WWDC and IO. Who cares? And- who cares? It's Z Flip time, baby. Z Flip time. This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by Forward Networks. Forward Networks reduces business risk by revolutionizing the way that large networks are managed. How? Well, their advanced software delivers a digital twin of the network, which is a completely accurate mathematical model in software. That's some smart stuff. This model serves as a single source of truth for that network. So users can verify that it's configured correctly, it's in compliance with policies, and behaving exactly as intended. Forward Enterprise can accurately predict the impact of a proposed change across every possible traffic path, so network operators can roll out changes with confidence, all while the network stays secure and reliable. This is an invaluable tool for your company. Fortune 500 companies and large public 
sector organizations are turning to mathematical models of their networks. Forward networks have customers such as PayPal, Verizon, Goldman Sachs, and many more, including several large government agencies. It was founded in 2013 by four Stanford PhD graduates who felt empathy for network operators and know security is top of mind for IT professionals and business leaders, and they sought to apply these principles of modern software development to networks. Request a demo today at forwardnetworks.com slash testdrivers. That's forwardnetworks.com slash testdrivers. Go there right now and check it out. One last time, forwardnetworks.com slash testdrivers. Our thanks to Forward Networks for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we are creative professionals by trade. Uh, by and large, you are a YouTuber. By and large, I am a podcaster, but we also both have other things that we do on the side. Um, like you make this show. I have a, <laughs> a company that sells physical goods. Like, you know, we we have other things that we do. And so we, but we're busy people, but we use our technology to get our work done. And I think this probably falls into a couple of different categories. These categories change and they've changed a lot for me as well over the last year. Um, but, and I'm pretty sure that our listeners probably know this first one, but, uh, what is your phone breakdown right now? So it's been the same. Actually, it's been the same since Z flip came out just with one minor change last year. So I mini change, you could say, Hey, so before I was on the 11 pro and the Z flip, and Mm -hmm. then late last year that switched to Z flip 5g and iPhone 12 mini, Mm -hmm. uh, the two smallest like quote-unquote real phones that you can get. And I've been very happy with that combination. Before, I used usually a rotating cycle of an I, whatever iPhone was kind of the smallest that I could deal with. And then, you know, either it was like some OnePlus or a Pixel or S20, whatever. I was usually cycling through. But as soon as Z Flip really landed, that has been my primary device ever since, I guess, February or so of last year. I feel like this is for the longest time that I've known that you've stuck with the same Android device. Like as iPhones, there's not really much you can change. Like you just mm-hmm. pick the one and you use that one for the year by and large. But there's new Android phones all the time. And I feel like this is the longest that I've known you to stay on one. Yeah, and it really has been. I did take my SIM out of the Z Flip for, I believe it was a week or two for the Pixel. And then uh, it was a little bit of time for the Sony as well as the S21. But all of those were like, I dipped my toe in the water for a short period of time and immediately went back to Z Flip, right? They weren't like, I'm fully bailing on Z Flip there. And I mean, look, we've talked about it many, many, many times on the show. The Z Flip form factor, especially in the era of masks and having that physical fingerprint sensor right on the side is so helpful when I'm out and checking my phone or anything like that. And the fact that the phone is, for all intents and purposes, good enough to do 97% of what I need on a daily basis. Mm. And it's small enough that it fits so easily in my pocket with AirPods or my Galaxy Buds Pro or anything like that is an absolute win. Do you wear an Apple Watch? I do, yes. So the three, or I guess there's four pieces of tech that are on me at pretty much all times. Yeah. Z Flip, front pocket, iPhone, back pocket, AirPods slash Galaxy Buds Pro in my little like kind of coin pocket based on which phone I think I'm going to be using more that day or if I'm, you know, taking more calls or whatever. And then I have an Apple Watch Series 4. That's my constellation of tech that is on me pretty much 24-7. Okay. Because you have, I mean, because you're saying like with a Touch ID sensor, with like the latest versions of iOS and watchOS, you get that um, 
the unlocking by Apple Watch thing when you're wearing a mask? I actually haven't tried it yet. So uh, I think I need to update my watch to get the support for that. It seems like it's good, though. Have you tried it yet? Like, it, it uses some of the Face ID sensors. I don't, I don't wear an Apple Watch. <laughs> I never wear an Apple Watch, so I'm no good. Uh, but I, I know people that have tried it. I know people that tried it in the beta, and it's very reliable, and people like it. The only thing it doesn't work with is Apple Pay. Because it just made me think that when you said about mask wearing, like, this would make one thing easier for mask wearing for you. Yes in those situations. Especially because all of my devices, including phones, I don't use passcodes, I use passwords. So it is oh, very, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I'm at the grocery store and I got to check my to-do list. I pull up to-do list on the iPhone. I got to go type my whole password in versus Z Flip, drop my finger on the sensor. I'm immediately unlocked. So the, the Apple yeah, Watch- Yeah, you got to try out that thing then. Yeah, yeah. So I got to say like in the early days of you know Z Flip, the first like six months, really until the 12 mini came out, I was heavy Z Flip reliant, right? Like I still kept iPhone around for mostly iMessage as well as for photos and videos, especially video and anything to do with like, you know, like Instagram or TikTok or any of that kind of stuff. I still do rely on iPhone more just because it's just simply a yep. better camera experience. But that being said, for pretty much everything else, I was on Z Flip. Now it's, I think, a little closer to 50-50, mostly because these both of these devices serve almost the exact same like functions. Like I have replicated as much as I can on both. So mm -hmm. it really is like, oh, I'm just gonna grab Z Flip. Like I think throughout the day I use Z Flip a little bit more. And then usually in the morning and at night I use the iPhone a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um but generally speaking, I've got notifications mostly mirrored between them, pretty much all the same apps or equivalent apps across them. And I've gotten to a point where I am incredibly happy for with my phone situation. I mean it's to the point where I know we're all excited about Z Flip and blah, blah. I feel like I could go another year without upgrading either of these phones and I would be fine. You're only going to get one more year <laughs> of the Mini anyway. You heard, this, you heard this rumor, right? Yeah. Yeah, They're going to do it one more time. The Mini is good. I, we, we give a lot of love to the Z Flip. I, I like the Mini a lot. Like, if Z Flip didn't exist, I would be perfectly happy on the Mini, right? Battery yeah. life is probably the only thing that I can be a little bit unhappy with. But because I use the two phones so sort of like in symbiosis, right? Mm -hmm. I don't really kill either battery throughout the day, right? <laughs> I'll charge one. I'll charge the other a little bit here and there. But like I never run out of battery on both phones, right? So it's really easy for me to be like, oh, sure, I burned 60% of the battery on my iPhone today. But whatever, because I got 70% left on the Z Flip or vice versa, mm. you know? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's Pro Max. I, I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's my favorite iPhone of all time. The iPhone 12 Pro Max. Ooh, that's a big statement. It's e but it's easy for me to make. Like I felt it like within a couple of days. Mm -hmm. It's every, you know it is the most iPhone that there has ever been, <laughs> and that's what I love about the, it. The professional maximum edition. The professional. I had the gold one too, right? So oh. it's just like even more. And I have I have survived. I'm jinxing myself now. No case. Oh, impressive. This entire time. I got a pop socket on the back. I just like that. That means mm -hmm. I can't do MagSafe, but like, whatever. I'm yep. fine. Uh, I can live without it. I need the pop socket. Like, it, especially with the big phone, it's just easy for me. I find it way more comfortable. Um, yeah. And it also helps me when I don't have a case because it actually just gives me like something to anchor my hand to when I'm grabbing it. Like, it just it just gives mm -hmm. me like, a, a, like the additional protection that it provides just from a grip perspective. Um, 
but I love everything about this iPhone. I love the design of it. For mine, like I love how ostentatious the gold is. Like I just do. I just think this is something silly and fun and great about it to me. This is being this like shiny gold thing. I just imagine you walking out of the club with your your blinged out 12 Pro Max. <laughs> like, yo, what's up? <laughs> yes, as you can imagine, Austin, that is exactly what I do. Uh, no, you know, and it's just like this. The camera's fantastic. Uh, by and large, I don't like some of the processing that the iPhone camera does at times in, in lower light conditions. This isn't the thing mm-hmm. that I see people complain about, so I think it's just a personal taste thing. And it's surrounded that deep fusion thing. I think sometimes the iPhone can produce some images that are a little too sharp after the processing mm. has been done. Yeah. I think that the sharpness can be increased sometimes a little too much. It looks like a weird shadow is cast in some images. Like that, There's something that can be a... a bugbear for me but like it's not so much that it's a problem just because overall the camera is you know it's it's iphone good right like it's it's yeah. reliable it's good it's it's relatively color accurate it, it does a great job um the screen is fantastic you know the hdr video is great like all of that stuff right like I'm, I'm super into my iphone uh and this one is really great the screen's really great um, there's a bunch of stuff that i want like every time and i'm holding out hope for a great iphone 13 but there's not really much um, outside of what you would have expected with our phones. When it comes to the other computers in our life, I think things are a little bit more up in the air. I think there's actually more interesting stuff going on. And this is kind of what we would call laptop slash tablet slash desktop because, you know, I think for a lot of the work that we do, not all of it, there is a, a, a kind of a blending between those. Um, the M1 Max really changed Yes. everything for me honestly yes. um we've spoken a lot about them on this show i have been back to the mac for my main work machine since the m1 max came out like i was starting to trend towards it i've been an ipad pro guy right for years and i'd start i'd started to trend back towards the mac for a combination of a bunch of things like uh work setup like work environment changes like my out of home studio which I was in the process of setting up then, is much more built for traditional desk environments. Like I have like two desks that I have here. Mm-hmm. For One is more kind of uh, sound isolated, which is where I record. And then I have my main desk. And that desk also is where I stream from. Like it's this massive desk that I can fit two full systems on, which I adore. Um, <laughs> and so I kind of started to trend. And this is also like pandemic related. Like I was just at home or at the office all the time, I didn't really need to think about my mobile working. And that was like one of the reasons that I was so iPad focused because I could work wherever I wanted really easily. And so like a combination of all that. And I think also mechanical keyboards also sent me down this route of just like, well, I can use those things with my iPad. They always work better and and easier with my Macs, right? Because they typically tend to be relatively heavy and I wouldn't really take them around. So like a combination of all of that and then the new M1 Max being so awesome, it really was like a perfect storm to move me back to Mac and Mac OS for my main working machine which it hadn't been in six years i had been using the ipad pro as my main working machine whoa now i'm now i'm back on the mac uh exclusively for work i have many questions but i think the first one is probably gonna be something that it's gonna be hard for us to speculate on i haven't really thought about it in the context of the mobile versus the the home setup because for me 
I've actually been primarily on laptop for a very long time, right? So, you know, if you rewind to before like M1 MacBooks and everything, I pretty much used the 11 inch iPad Pro. And uh, later I got the LTE version. And that was sort of like my laptop. That was what I would take traveling and everything like that. Sometimes I cycled through Windows laptops based on, you know, if it was a couple years ago, but I was really trying to use iPad more and more. And then I had a 15 slash 16 inch MacBook which was my essentially desktop replacement, right? Like I would take it with me when I, you know, was going to go off for a shoot or if I had to travel, I knew I was going to have to edit or media manage or whatnot. But primarily that MacBook moved from my home setup where it would be docked and, you know, plugged into a monitor or it would be moved to my desk setup at the office where again, I would just plug into the Thunderbolt dock. But essentially what's changed for me is that the M1 13-inch MacBook has kind of replaced both of those devices in my life. But I'm really curious. So what is your M1 Mac? Are you using a, a Mac mini? Are you using an Air? Or a Pro? Like what, what is that system that you've replaced that's running an M1 right now? So it's kind of weird for me, honestly. I have, it sounds so much more ostentatious than it's meant to. So like, please allow me to explain. I have three Macs that I use. Okay. Now, the, the Mac that I have at home is my Intel iMac Pro that I've had for a number of years now. And mm-hmm. that has been my main work machine for years, my recording and editing machine. Um, when I got the studio set up, I repurposed a Mac Mini that I had bought a couple of years or a year or so prior that I wanted to set up as like a home server, but I just kind of never got around to it. And then when I got the studio set up, I brought the Mac Mini here as a machine for me to work from with the plan being that I would bring the iMac Pro here and then would use my iPad on one desk and my iMac Pro on the other desk to do recording and editing on. Or that I would, and it was also then I thought, oh, maybe I would upgrade to a laptop for recording at some point and just record on the laptop and edit on the iMac Pro. I was still kind of working it out, but my thinking was it would be iMac Pro on one desk and then some other device on another desk. Because I've always mm-hmm. had a laptop in case I am uh, need to record shows whilst traveling, right? Which is a thing of that course. I typically would do. So I was thinking that maybe I would just set that laptop up and record on that when I'm at home and when I'm away, but edit on the iMac because it was the powerful one. Now, then the pandemic happened and all of that went out the window because I was, you know, we were locked down and I couldn't be at a studio. And then when things opened up, I wasn't sure I didn't move them. And then we locked down again. So my iMac Pro is still at home and it's staying there for the foreseeable future in case I can't make it to the studio. So what I'm talking to you on now is my Intel Mac Mini. When the M1 Macs came out, I bought a MacBook Pro to replace my previous MacBook Pro that I'd had for like five years or something. I had like the 2016, the very first butterfly keyboard MacBook Pro. Ooh, okay. uh, My keyboard (laughs) survived because I didn't use it very much. I used it like a handful of times a year, but when I had no choice but to have a Mac with me because I was on the road and recording or whatever. Right. So at the moment, my kind of setup is is peculiar. So I have a lap. My laptop is my main working machine. It's where I'm doing everything other than recording and editing shows. So all of my other work, of which there is a lot, like running two businesses now, basically, um, I'm doing all of that on my MacBook Pro. All my preparation for shows and all that kind of stuff. That MacBook Pro typically will be uh, plugged into a dock and a monitor and all that kind of stuff when I'm at the studio. And I bring it home with me in case there's any work I want to do at home. 
But honestly, mm-hmm. in the last three or four weeks, it hasn't happened. But again, I'm a little skittish of yeah. having to be locked away at home. Like, for example, we have a thing that, like, in a, like next week, uh, my wife has to have a medical thing. It's a super small thing. Like, it's nothing. But she has to isolate for four days before she goes to the ah. doctor. Mm-hmm. So now it's like we both have to isolate, right? So right. this is that whole thing of like I have to have these machines now in multiple places. So well, I would have sold one of them, but I can't. I need to have all these computers around me of all course. the time. So yeah, it's a very yeah. strange scenario that I found myself in. So at the moment, really, I am doing the majority of my work on my M1 MacBook Pro. It's funny at the moment as well because I'm, I'm, I'm working on a really large edit for a project. And the uh, my own the only machine that can actually handle it is my M1 MacBook Pro. My Intel MacBook Wait. Pro is beach balling in Logic, the audio editing really? software that I use. Yeah, it's a huge project with like so many audio clips and stuff. And when I've been trying to edit it in Logic, if I move too many uh, elements at once on my iMac Pro, multiple times I've had it beach balling. But my M1, everything moves incredibly smoothly, which is Honestly, like there is a part of me that where I'm happy that I re- that this happened to me uh, after the IMAX, the new IMAX went on sale. Mm-hmm. So if this would have happened to me before, I would replace the Mac <laughs> Mini that I'm sitting that I'm talking to you right now with one of the 24 inch <laughs> IMAX. But now they're so far out into delivery, like I'm still crossing my fingers that there'll be new I, new Macs of some kind showing off at WWDC, right? Because mm-hmm. if I ordered one of these current IMAX now, it wouldn't arrive to me until the end of June. So I'm kind of just like, I'm not going to buy one of these now. But if it would have happened, wow. if I would have known this four weeks ago, I would have bought one of the IMAX to arrive when it's... Because now I've realized that the M1 Max are actually the best machine for me from a performance perspective. Because I'm using <laughs> software Apple makes. They have tweaked it to run better on M1 than on Intel which I was not expecting. Like, I knew that they were benchmarking similarly, but I haven't hit a project like this where it's been so much smoother and so much of a better experience to use that way. So that's kind of where I am with my Macs, where I have basically two machines that are dedicated recording and editing machines, and where usually in my life I would have just had one, and then I would have my laptop. But now the difference is my laptop is actually my main computer, not just the machine that I use when I travel. So into the future, what I expect will occur is I will have some form of Apple Silicon. I will have two Apple Silicon-based computers. I will have one of them, which is a very powerful machine, and then one of them will be a laptop. How I use those in my life, I want, I'm not sure what that's going to be yet. Like, will I record on the laptop and edit and do all my work on the main machine? Will it be vice versa? I'm not actually sure how it's going to be broken down yet, but that will be my expectation going forward. Um, and we can talk a bit more about the iPad itself in a minute, but as it stands right now, I don't see for the foreseeable future moving back to iPadOS for, um, for my work. I am 100% with you. I like the iPad. I like the fact that you know you've got built-in LTE or 5G and, and like that kind of stuff is nice. But these M1 Max, specifically that 13-inch, the the Pro, has been the absolute rock star since the day I got it. Right. Mm-hmm. So everything from you know 
same kind of as you, I'm sure, right? Like a lot of like sort of admin work and email and typing and all that kind of stuff that, you know, you get the ridiculous battery life for and the great performance. But on top of that, I feel like the 13-inch MacBook Pro is as good, if not better, at video editing than my 16-inch MacBook Pro full spec was, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of a similar vein to, I think, the things you're seeing in Logic. Sure, in very graphically intensive, like, edits, like, especially when I load a lot of effects and color and everything, I do see a little bit of a slowdown. But I also saw a slowdown on the 16-inch. Maybe it's a little bit more aggressive on the 13-inch, but... For 95% of my workflow, it is as fast, if not faster than that MacBook, Mm -hmm. the 16-inch that I used to use. Dead silent, instead of, you know, sounding like a a jet engine taking off. Much cooler to the touch. And on top of that, it's, you know, what, half the size or two-thirds the size or whatever, right? It's something that I can easily carry my little laptop bag that I just carry with me everywhere. Versus before, I used to carry the backpack and the 16-inch and all the, the extra stuff in there, right? I would like... At some point, if there's, a 14-inch MacBook Pro with, like, some more ports and maybe, you know, uh, an M1X, whatever, sure, that would be great. I'll always take a little bit more performance, not have to carry around so many dongles, whatever. Cool, whatever. But, again, sort of uh, with, like, my phone situation right now, I am happier with that M1 MacBook as, like, my single do-everything system docking wherever I need to go than I've been with any other computer maybe ever. It is incredibly good. I'm I'm... It's it's ha- you know what I'm actually happy that we're doing this episode today because I feel like we would have done this before you know the M1s or or the, the the Mini or Z Flip whatever I've never felt like I do now and that I don't need upgrades for anything obviously I always like upgrades right but I am so thoroughly happy with the main pieces of technology in my life that I'm good that just feels so good to say that like everything works as good if not better than I could possibly hope for. This episode is brought to you by SyncUp, a OneDrive podcast. If you're looking for new podcasts to listen to, SyncUp takes you behind the scenes of OneDrive. So you can learn about how to connect files, share your documents, and work from anywhere. And you'll get to hear about the design and development side of things too. I love podcasts like this. I love discovering new shows like this because it can help you learn new things. It can expand your mind a little more, give you some new topics to think about. It's awesome. Every single episode of of SyncUp includes a dedicated topic, guest interviews, news, announcements and a special topic outside the technology norm some topics in the show include remote work and data security but also compliance governance automation and so much more one recent episode that i heard was going deep on how you can best make microsoft teams work within your organization this is really helpful for today's remote working environments especially as we move into the future remote working is here to stay and understanding how you can best leverage tools like teams can really help everyone stay on the same page whilst being moved around and all over the place so go and check it out right now just search for sync up wherever you get your podcasts that's s-y-n-c-u-p or just click the link in the show notes and go check it out a thanks to sync up and microsoft for their support of this show and all of relay fm so the desk setups that i have are quite varied really i mean i have my especially the, the the one that I'm doing most of my work from. So I I have my MacBook Pro pretty much docked, or in dock, kind of like a dock mode all the time. So mm-hmm. I use a CalDigit dock. I think it's called the TS3. Ah, I do too. It's good. 
<laughs> you know, what I'm learning is having having done this for a while is like there is no perfect solution for docking. Like I use an mm-hmm. LG monitor that I really love. It is the LG 32 UN 880-B. Uh, oh, of course. <laughs> everyone yeah, knows that it. one. It is a 31-inch 4K monitor. It's USB-C, and it is it's what they call their Ergo line. So it kind of has a built-in mm. arm, which is really adjustable, and I, I really love that. Um, it's actually, I think they might be getting ready to replace this model because it's not as available as it used to be. Um, mm. Like when I ended up buying, I bought uh, the monitor that I got for my gaming PC, which is another LG monitor, has a similar um, like ergonomic stand, but it's like a completely different monitor because I couldn't find this one anymore. Uh, like I was looking around for it and it just didn't have it anymore. Uh, so, you know, I like it. I like these, these, um, so I got the, the Ultra Gear was the next one that I got the one with my PC, which also has an arm on it and it's 27 inches. Um, I I like this. I like the built-in arms. I like the flexibility that they give. It keeps the stand off the desk as well, which I like. So you get more. Doesn't take up too much of your desk space and stuff. Mm-hmm. But what I'm learning, especially with the USB-C monitor, is just sometimes I plug my Mac in and it just doesn't work. Like I have to do this dance oh, of really? plugging and unplugging the monitor before it will work again. You know, it's one of those things where, like, I'm sure that there is a path to dealing with this, but it's kind of like, ah, whatever. Like, I just pull the monitor out, like, pull the cable out, put it back in again, and it's fine. Like, whatever, I'll just deal with it. But it's making me wonder, like, do I want this kind of thing as the the daily machine of, like, dealing with the monitor stuff every time? Maybe, I don't know. Like, I, I don't use my uh, laptop with the screen open. Do you do that? Yes. So I, I see, always I keep my screen open. Yeah. So I have a uh, sort of similar to you. I have sort of two setups, right? So at home, I have a regular desk and then I have a little standing desk that goes on top of it. So I always stand, right? I'm standing right now as we recorded the podcast, mm. right? I stand at the office. I stand at home. Now, the home office setups, they do have uh, basically both of them are standard desks with the you know additional standing desk that sits on top of it. So I can bring it down if I want. I've tried uh, sort of the digital or the, the motorized standing desks in the past, and I've broken them, and it's just been irritating. And honestly... I will maybe lower my standing desk to a sitting position once a month. So it's not something that is super important to me. So essentially, both of my standing desk setups involve the laptop sitting kind of like directly in front of me. So I'll use the keyboard as well as sometimes the trackpad and the touch bar and whatnot on sort of like the the main spot. I'll have my display and then I'll go out to a monitor above it and I'll have a mouse off to the side. So both my home and office setups are the same. It's a little different as far as so at the office, I use the original LG Ultrafine. Mm. So it's the the 5K that, uh, I guess, what? We did a video on it in like 2017. It's like the early, early model. It was the one that technically got recalled, I think, at some point. But I just never swapped it out because it's been absolutely a rock star for (laughs) this many years. And I 
Zero plans to replace that. Yeah, see, I think you might be having a better experience than me for a couple of reasons. I think Thunderbolt is better for displays than USB-C just in general, especially when working with a dock. Like, I have a Thunderbolt dock and I'm using a USB-C powered display. I don't think that that's helping my situation, but it's just what I have yes. available to me right now. And plus yeah. as well, that those LG displays were made kind of in collaboration with Apple, so I think that they're made to be oh, yeah. a bit more reliable. Yeah, because the ultra-fine displays, the 5K and 4K, they were what was available when Apple stopped making their own displays. And mm -hmm. it is understood that there was a little bit of collaboration between the two companies to have that as an option. There was. There absolutely was. Yeah. It, but it works well, right? It works well. I don't think I'm going to upgrade that 5K for a very long time, right? Zero complaints about it whatsoever. I guess, what, four or five years in. Uh, beyond that, like I said, so basically I have the single cable for both my setups. So for my work setup, I have the MacBook going into the CalDigit, the CalDigit going out into the UltraFine, and then I have like Ethernet and a few other things, you know, USBs and whatnot. The yep. one thing I wish that CalDigit had was 10 gig Ethernet because we do have a 10 gig capable server in the office. So a lot of times I actually end up dumping and pulling footage from the server over Wi-Fi because I actually get slightly faster than gigabit speeds over Wi-Fi. This might not work and I have no idea, but is it possible to adapt 10 gig Ethernet to Thunderbolt? Yes. Uh, the problem is that I also use a YubiKey. And so basically, oh. I have a 13-inch MacBook with one port. Is for all intents and purposes, the way it works. And I can't daisy-chain out the 5K display and the 10-gig Ethernet. I've tried in the past. Also, I've just had some problems with Thunderbolt to 10-gig adapters. Some of them work. I've had a lot of issues with a couple of the ones I've tried, so generally, I don't care. We have a separate like dumping station for footage, uh -huh. so it's not like I'm dumping hundreds of gigabytes all the time from my, my main system, but sometimes I do it, right? What's the YubiKey for? YubiKey, it's a, it's a, a two-factor setup. So uh, a lot of my accounts have the physical YubiKey support to unlock the account, right? And so for why example- why is this better than say using, I don't know, like one-time password in an authenticator app? I do that as well. So oh it depends boy, it's on- like seven-factor authentication <laughs> over there in Austin well, Evans land. No, no, it's, it's, not, it's nothing that crazy. It depends on the service. Yeah. Uh, so certain accounts, I do use the Google Authenticator. Certain services use the YubiKey. Some do use both, but those are, you know, like password manager style situations where I want to be extra careful. Like, uh, Generally speaking, I've gotten a little bit farther away from the YubiKey. I had the little UB, uh, the YubiKey, the, the USB-C Nano. So it's very tiny, right? It's just very, very small. Um, I've gotten to the point where actually a lot of my accounts have been migrated away from that. There's just a couple sort of remaining. I also have a separate YubiKey on my keys. So I don't know if you noticed, but before we record, uh, whenever I sit down at the system, I'm always like jingling my keys to go and plug in the uh, the USB, <laughs> the, the YubiKey on that. Um but yeah, so that's my work setup, right? So I've got the Ultrafine, Thunderbolt dock, and the MacBook Pro. At home is a simplified version of that. I have the, uh, it's the, okay, the LG 32UN500, or at least I'm pretty sure. It's the 32-inch 4K monitor that they've been making for a very long time. Uh, this one's might be a slightly older model than that because I definitely purchased it like four years ago. It's like 300 bucks, 4K, it's got USB-C support, so that's how I charge my MacBook at the house. And then I have the uh, the glorious uh, uh, PC, uh, what is it, the, what's the white white mouse? Oh, God, I've forgotten. The Magic Mouse? No, 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 it's the glorious PC Oh, you company. mean like glorious, model glorious. O. I see what you're saying. Yeah, the I thought you just o. meant you liked it. 
No, <laughs> the glorious magic mouse. No, thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that Model O, which I know is more of a gaming mouse, but I love the feel of that. It's the one where you, people get tripped out because it's got like, if you have trypophobia, so it's just it. full of holes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't care. You. I love the feel of that mouse. So that's what I use at home. It's a much simpler setup. It's just literally one cable from my MacBook into the USB-C monitor, mouse uh, connected to it, the end. So it's a little bit simpler. I don't use a mechanical keyboard anywhere. I just use my MacBook keyboard the touch bar, actually more probably than most people do. And then a mix of, especially when I'm editing, I'll actually use the trackpad and the mouse based on what I'm doing. But I'm guessing you uh, might use a different set of peripherals if I had to take a very wild guess. Yeah, I'll actually start with what you ended with. I use a combination of the Logi MX Master 3. I just said a thing there and realized that that might not make sense to a lot of people. You may, I don't know if you know this, do you know that in Europe, Logitech is called Logi, L-O-G-I. Yes, and in, uh, I believe it's Japan and Taiwan, Logitech is Logicool. I didn't know that, and I want a Logicool <laughs> mouse now. <laughs> I use the MX Master 3 mouse. It's the mouse, right? Like everybody, mm -hmm. so many people use this mouse. Uh, it's obviously not a gaming mouse. We're not all elite gamers like Austin is with his gaming mouse all day, every day. Uh, but that's what I use. Uh, I like it a lot. It's comfortable for me. Um, I also use a Magic Trackpad. Uh, and I also use a Wacom Intuos tablet. I have done this for many years. I use an Intuos Pro um, as both a navigation tool and also this is how I edit podcasts. I use a pen tablet to edit podcasts. Um, takes a while to learn it and to get it right, but the precision I'm able to get is great, plus the Intuos Pro has a bunch of shortcut buttons on the tablet, and I program those for certain functions in Logic. I think there are many people that do this. I've recommended it to a bunch of people who I know do edit this way because there is quite a learning curve because uh, mm -hmm. really these are artists' pen tablets, but you can use them to control operating systems and all kinds of applications, and so I do do that. And I like that just for going back to ergonomics again. It's just good for me to have multiple input devices and be switching between them. But also, yeah. when I'm editing, like I'm editing with the pen in my left hand and I'm using my trackpad in my right hand and I'm using the trackpad to zoom around and like it's great. Oh, okay. oh, I love it. Oh, man, it's great. I always hear you talk about it. I guess maybe not so much recently, but you especially used to talk a lot about it on Cortex. And I was always fascinated with like the exact ergonomic position of that because I've done very little audio editing, right? I'm very much uh, more comfortable with video editing. I mean, I know when we were doing the early days of the podcast, there were a couple of episodes I edited oh, on yeah. the iPad Pro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was like, that's like the most I've ever edited audio. And it was literally on the iPad Pro with the, the trackpad, right? And I, I tried the pencil a little bit. So like, to me, it's really interesting to see because every time I see someone using like an Intuos or a tablet or something, I'm always like, it looks like you're like in the matrix. You're like, you're spinning around, you're tapping, you're like, it, it looks really crazy to me. It really does feel great to be uh, using software with two hands mm -hmm, right like mm -hmm. that i'm zooming and and panning with my right hand and then actually controlling the pointer and selecting parts and cutting them and deleting with the other hand it's it's, it's cool like it, i kind of get into a flow with it and i know that it helps me from a speed perspective as well as an ergonomic perspective because i'm i'm able to rotate because you know like sometimes an editing project can be many many hours of the same kinds of um, actions yeah. and that can be bad for your wrists, hands, arms, that kind of thing. 
And so being able to mix it up has definitely been able to prolong uh, the work that I'm able to do. But when it comes to keyboards, I mean, this is, I, t I will say, one of the great things about having so many computers, like, because I, I have, I also have my gaming PC, right? My streaming PC. So I currently, in my studio right now, I have three computer stations, right? <laughs> so building so many mechanical keyboards that you do on Twitch every week, uh, I get to use all my keyboards frequently. I get to rotate between them. I'm actually using a glorious uh, keyboard today. They they had a um, a keyboard that they released this year uh, called the GMMK Pro. Mm -hmm. Got a lot of coverage because it's like the first keyboard from a big enough kind of more mainstream company that has mm -hmm. features of the kind of uh, custom scene. Like... The, you know like so it's got like the mounting mechanism is called gasket like gasket mounting uh mm -hmm. which is just a, it's like one of the many mounting mechanisms it's a 75 percent layout plus has a rotary okay. encoder knob on it these are all like some of the things that you might find on a bunch of the more like high-end keyboards and they selling it at like it's like 170 dollars uh, it's just a bare oh, bones wow. kit. There's no switches, no keycaps for that, but you can add oh, all that stuff okay. in. But $170 for what you get, I actually think is really good value compared to what that money will get with other stuff. Um, I've ended up putting some switches in. They're called Boba, Uf Boba uh, U4 switches, which are silent tactiles. Ah, perfect for podcasting. Yeah. So it's become my recording keyboard. Uh, and I'm really happy with it, honestly, because I, I I like the way it looks. I got the black one. Uh, it's a pretty cool keyboard. And I need to do more modding with it. I got some like different parts to kind of like do some mods on this board because it was compared to other keyboards that I have a very fairly priced board. There's some stuff mm -hmm. that I want to do with it to kind of just like play around with it a bit. But yeah, so I, I do use a glorious product. Kind of don't like their their overall marketing. Uh, glorious. It's a bit much yep. <laughs> uh for me and uh, kind of their the longer name of their company i find to be in poor taste um but eh, it, yeah right but uh they they do make decent products they're not without controversy but they do make decent products yeah no, I, I definitely agree going back to my ipad a little bit uh i my my ipad that i use now i only use the 11 inch ipad pro um, my 12.9 mm -hmm. I have here at the studio um, and it is mostly in a drawer now uh, I do <laughs> use it from time to time to do stuff but it's it's rare um, my 11 inch iPad Pro is my main computer at home actually oh okay okay so it's and it's also actually the main device I use when I'm at home I, I use my iPad more than I use my phone but what I'm doing with it now is more typical stuff you know it's kind of um, we we mentioned Cortex earlier. My my co-host on Cortex, CGB Gray, mentioned to me the phrase couch pad, and that's really stuck with me now. Oh, like my, my iPad yeah. is on the couch. Uh, and so I do light work on it, you know, every now and then. Like I might do preparation for shows, like I read through my RSS feeds and stuff and kind of do that kind of stuff. Maybe some light communication, Slack, you know, maybe some email and stuff. And uh, I would use video. Like it's more like a... It's le it's more of a like consumption-y type of device, but I'm still doing some work on it. But it is the device that I use most. Like I use my iPad at home more than I use my phone now for for like wow. reading stuff and things like that. Because uh, it's just it's a nicer screen, it's a nicer experience. 
You know, like mm-hmm. I'm usually like if I'm going to be reading something on my phone, more often than not, I'm in the living room on the couch. The yeah. iPad is better for that. You know? Yeah. I will say I, 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 I think that that sounds like a great use case. I honestly end up pulling out my 13-inch MacBook sometimes, which I know is clearly not the best way yeah, to read I stuff on the couch. But like I really that that it's replaced the iPad entirely for me. And honestly, I read a lot and watch a lot on my phone anyway, yeah. especially on Z Flip. Uh, that's super interesting though. That does seem like the perfect use case for something like an iPad or a, <clears throat> sorry, uh, a couch pad. Couch pad. I mean, honestly, uh, I would say like if people think that that's a good thing, the iPad Air is better for this than the iPad Pro. The iPad Pro is too much. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it's a little unknown now, especially with the new iPads. They're coming soon, right? And WWDC is around the corner. I expect to remain Mac-focused for the foreseeable future, like unless Apple does something really wild at WWDC for the iPad. Like Mm -hmm. I expect there to be improvements. I I hope there to be big ones, but I, I think it would be really unlikely for me to imagine a situation that Apple would do so much of iPad OS that it would be a no-brainer for me to move back to it for the majority of my work. Like, I just don't see it happening. And as well, yeah. like, I am just excited about the Mac right now in a way that I haven't been excited about the Mac in a really long time because it is very exciting to look at the Mac right now. Like, weirdly enough, I think the most exciting products Apple will release within the next 12 months will be Max. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you, man. Like, I've always, well, not always, but for the last six, seven years, Macs have been a pretty regular part of my production workflow, right? Uh, Stuff like Final Cut, huge part of sort of how we edit and all this kind of stuff. There's a lot there. And when I look at what gets me excited, it's not some crazy touchscreen Mac. It's not this, it's that. It was the M1s giving me better battery life, better performance, and smaller form factors, right? Mm-hmm. Not like, you know, we're, we're reinventing the wheel here, right? But that alone in the current hardware that we already have and the MacBook Airs and the Mac Pros and the Mac Minis and everything, that was enough to take the Mac from being something that I enjoyed but was always one of those like, could be better, I'll switch back and forth here and there to the point where I'm not looking to swap out my Mac anytime soon, right? I mean, sure, if there's upgrades, cool, whatever. But it does such a good job and it's really kind of changed the game in such a big way. I feel like this is almost in some ways the golden age of the Mac. And that's really nice to say, especially considering where we were a few years ago where we're like, hey, can you make something for pros? Maybe? I mean, like, Ever? It was a, a handful of years ago where there was just a question of like, do they even care about the Mac anymore? And now Absolutely. it's like they seem to be doing a lot of their most exciting stuff. Like, the, I am super excited to see two key things is the designs of the laptops mm-hmm. I'm like are they going like what they've done on the iMac will that kind of design start to bring its way over to the laptops like what are they going to look like you know these new laptops are heavily rumored to have no touch bar which is like really interesting because it's weird to see Apple go back on something putting more ports on it like the MacBook Pro is yeah. expected to get SD card ports and HDMI ports which again just really weird to see them doing that kind of stuff. I'm intrigued to see what the design of them looks like. And then I'm also really intrigued to see, you know, there's rumors of like a new Mac Pro, like a smaller Mac Pro with Apple Silicon. And I'm just like, what is that going to be? Like, there's so many questions. Like, what was the what's the graphics 
story mm-hmm. like on mm-hmm. these new Apple Silicon computers. Like, there's just there is this is like a new. As I like when there's questions, yeah, around product lines for multiple reasons. One, because it gives me stuff to talk about on shows like this, right? Like to, I like to to kind of imagine what it's going to be, but that's also that kind of unknown is exciting to me as a lover of technology, right? The not being able to easily tell what tech companies are going to do, that is the part that excites me the most about looking at technology, right? It's like, what is next? And that excites me. So I'm very happy that the Mac is getting some of that because it feels like, you know, even the last five years where it does feel like they've been doing more, it's all been pretty predictable. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's a new fire at Apple with the fact that they kind of, for so long, and I, I think especially when you look at the, the I guess, what was it, the last generation, the butterfly generation of MacBook Pros, right? There was a lot of rumors that that was designed to a spec that Intel never hit with their Skylake CPUs, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's easy to forget that those MacBooks, when they launched in 2016, that was the first generation of Skylake, which really just ended up getting sort of reheated year after year after year. And in a lot of ways, you get it. You know, Apple made this very thin design. Obviously, they pushed USB-C and Thunderbolt. And you know, it was a very forward-looking laptop, but the thermals never kept up. The, the noise never kept up. The performance didn't really change. Sure, they threw more and more cores at it, but it was really clear there's this huge disconnect between what Apple had anticipated that that design could do and what Intel provided on the, the chips, right? And I think that now we're almost seeing like, Maybe that was a pause or whatever the case is where Apple was like, oh, we, we want to do this, but we can't. We want to do this, but we can't. But now it's like they've given the, the, the designers like complete license. Hey, let's go make a ton of money. Let's go sell a ton of Macs. Let's get people excited about this, right? Because in a lot of ways, you look at Apple as a company, right? They're selling every iPhone that they can sell, right? I mean, it's not like there's a bunch of markets where they're going to release a $100 iPhone and, and make a killing on or anything like that, right? I think... Apple will continue to innovate on the iPhone. It'll get better and better. Maybe it'll be a folding phone, whatever. But like the iPhone is pretty well saturated, right? The, the, the Bluetooth market with, you know, AirPods, very saturated. They're making absolute piles of money there. iPad, they're pushing forward as fast as they can. But if you look back to the original market of Apple, Apple computer, you know, mm-hmm. creating Macs, there's still tons of market share there, right? Well, because also, like, I mean, the last, I think, four quarters... I mean, again, this has been helped, quote-unquote, by the pandemic, but mm-hmm. people are still making these purchasing decisions. The last four quarters, I think it's the last four, definitely the last three, have been yeah. Apple's four highest quarters for Mac revenue in the company's entire history. It makes sense. The last quarter, Q2, they were 70% up year over year in Mac sales. Ooh. That's a big number, especially. Incredible. Like, <laughs> so if you think about it, you know, you're, you're, you're Timmy Cook sitting in your, your laser office or whatever. You think about it, it's like, okay, where are the growth areas? And if you've already maxed out in so many of these other spots, and sure, you're developing, you know, cars and AR and all this kind of stuff. But those are kind of moonshots. Those are years away. Mm-hmm. Look at the Mac, right? By putting it's more investment. It's a massive investment, growth area for them. Huge. Yeah. There's so much there. And while, sure, everyone's like, oh, the death of the PC, the death of the PC, that's not happening. That's not happening anytime soon, right? Even Apple's kind of given that sort of a, a nod. They're pushing the iPad as like the PC and is like the only computer you need for so long. 
now they're like, oh, the iPad is just better. But have you taken a look at that new iMac? I mean, I think there's a real shift here. And I think we could be in a really good spot over the next few years with Apple having not only a broad swath of different devices in the Mac line from you know MacBook Airs to Mac Pros and everything in the middle. But on top of that, because they're sort of controlling now, just like the way they do with the iPhone, the entire process, right? They're not being constrained with the designs they can do talking to AMD and NVIDIA and Intel, and they're just designing and building what they want, I feel like we could be in store for a an incredibly exciting few years of just these crazy designs, stuff that no other computer has been able to do, whether it's performance, whether it's the design, whether it's the, the marriage of the two. And if this is what we've seen right now, the first six months of M1 Max, and specifically that iMac, which really is like that first fully redesigned M1 Max, I am super excited to see once they're fully transitioned over and everything's Apple Silicon, see what we've got. iPad's great. All the other things are, are cool, but man, I'm just, it's, it's good to have the Mac be this exciting again for the first time in a very long time. Before we leave, let me tell you about another show on Relay FM, Make Do. If you like the test drivers, there's a good chance you'll like Make Do. You don't have to monetize your hobbies, but if you want to, Make Do is ready to be your cheerleader. Listen as you hobby with Tiff Arment and Julia Scott at relay.fm slash make do or search for Make Do wherever you get your podcasts.